Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and I appreciate all of y'all coming out here today uh, on this day of the Lord. And I stand in need of your prayers, as always. Uh, we need the Lord's blessing, and he certainly can do that. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about is kind of the power, the sovereignty, the majesty, the wisdom, <coughs> the glory of the Lord this morning. And I'm going to start pretty basic, a scripture all of you know. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, from the very start here, that's what I want to visit with you about. There's a lot in that first verse. It didn't just, things didn't just happen. In the beginning, you know, before that word, before God did that, there was no time. With God, there is no time. He is from everlasting to everlasting. <clears throat> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, he started time. There's no time with God. That, I, I have a hard time getting my arms around that, and I assume all of us do. I can't imagine he never had a beginning. He never had a beginning. He never had an end. This in the beginning is the beginning for us. This is when time as we know it, began. He was here. It didn't mean anything to him, <clears throat> but he created this time for us. So in the beginning, that's time. He created the heaven, that's space. As we know, it's atmosphere, space. He created time and space, and it says he created the heavens and the earth. He created the matter. Everything that we know here on earth is created by him. All the solids, liquids, uh, air, anything like that, he created. He he created time, he created space, and he created matter. And it's pretty glorious. We kind of time pass over that, but Job, I'm not Job, Psalms does a, a really good job of talking about the majesty of the Lord and what he's done. Uh, Psalms, Psalm 90, verse 2, and this is David speaking, he said, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, God was from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Before he did anything, he's from everlasting to everlasting. And he came and he made this creation that we call not only earth, but our space and our atmosphere and our solar system. All of that is a creation to him, of him. You know, he goes in here and, and take, starts taking this apart about all the things that he did and has done. Uh, and laid out here, and you know, he set the stars and the sun and the moon up in the air and set them there. You know, my son is a, a physics major, and not a physics major, aerospace engineering major, and he had to plan a trip as part of his graduating uh, there from the University of Texas. He had to plan a trip from here to some planet. I don't know what it was, but he had in his little group, they had to plan how they went. And so they went and flew to the moon and circled on it and then used it to throw them off to the next planet, and they circled about three planets and used the gravitational force of that, the centrifugal force, to throw them to the next planet. They didn't have, couldn't have enough fuel to go that all, all that way by themselves. So, and I thought, I asked him, I said, you know how that happens? It's because you depend on the certainty of God's creation. How do we know that planet's going to be there when the, the spaceship gets there? It gets there because he has set them. It says he set them in space, the moon and the stars and the sun. Hit the certainty of his creation. It's amazing. How does the sun stay where it is? What keeps it from falling down? What keeps the earth from moving? I, I can't even comprehend 
the majesty of what he's done. Sometimes we try to, and sometimes we want to play God, and we want to put ourselves on an equal level with God, and we're not even close. Job tried to do this. In the book of Job, I'm not going to cover it in detail, but Job, beginning in, in chapter 21, when you get a chance to read this, Job is a real good one for this. You know, Job is the one that he found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and he was, uh, Satan challenged the Lord to let him open up Job, and, and, you know, Satan took away Job's health, he took away his family, took away his fortune, but the Lord wouldn't let him take his life. And so Job stayed loyal to the Lord, but then he had these sympathizers that were coming and telling him, you know, you might as well give up and die. And his wife said, you know, curse God and die. And he wouldn't do it. But he still started asking questions. Verse chapter 21, he started questioning God, asking all these questions about why did you do this and why did you do this? And he asked him a, a, a ton of questions, but beginning in verse, and he wanted an answers, he said, beginning in ver chapter 38, God answered back. And you need to read chapters 38, 39, and 40 if you want to know the majesty of God. I love this first part here. It's uh, chapter 38. It did after, after Job had gotten finished asking all these questions that would be dumb questions, really, pretty good for me, but be dumb for the Lord. It says, chapter 38, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this asking me questions when you don't have any knowledge <coughs> to, to ask those questions? And in verse 3, I've heard this before, and you'll, I, I got a kick out of this. God said, Job, gird up thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Gird yourself up like a man. Get ready. Put on your big boy britches, Job. I want you to answer these questions. And then in the next three chapters, Job, uh, the God asked 83 questions of Job. And Job can't answer a single one of them. And we can't either. But the Lord can. You know, he says, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast any understanding. Do you have any understanding how I created the heavens and the earth in time? And he goes through and he asks him, How are the foundations thereof fastened? How does the earth stay where it is? How does it rotate like it does? You know, when I made the cloud, the garment thereof, the thick darkness and the swaddling band around it, where were you? Where is the way where light dwelleth? Where does light dwelleth and when does darkness dwelleth? Uh, by what way is the light parted and scattereth the east wind upon the earth? Who causes it to rain on the earth where no man is and in the wilderness where no man is? Knoweth thou the ordinances of heaven? I'm just skipping through and asking some of these questions. We need to, too. We need to appreciate the omnipotence and omniscience and the omnipresence of God. Knowest thou the ordinance of heaven? Can thou set the dominion thereof on the earth? Can thou lift up the voice of the clouds that create thunder, uh, that abundance of waters may cover thee? Canst thou send lightnings at the, where they go? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts? You know, how do I know how to wiggle my finger? I don't know how I do that. I, I just do it. I don't tell it. I don't do anything. I just decide on wiggle my how does that? How does that happen? How do, how do we all know do anything like that? How does the inside of our body work? How do I see you? How does my limbs and my eye work? How can I do that and even see and comprehend? I mean, God created us. The majesty of all that is just it's overwhelming. When the dust groweth into hardness and the clods cleave fast together. Simple stuff. How does a clod, that dirt, how do they wind up sticking together? Who 
He said, even the simple things we don't understand. Gavest thou the godly wings of the peacocks or wings and feathers of the ostrich? Who dressed the peacock? I did. Put God's strength. He gets down and he says, Hast thou given the horse strength? How did the horse get his strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Made the horses so strong and powerful they are? And he says, But thou can make that horse be afraid of a grasshopper? He said, Can anybody do that except me? And, he, and, and so he's, he's driving home. Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? Can you command the eagles to fly high? No. He letting us know the, the grandeur of him. We, when we realize the majesty and grandeur of God, and we need to do that from time to time, it makes us realize how insignificant we are. When we live, realize his wisdom and his majesty and, and everything that he's created uh, and his knowledge, it makes us seem foolish when we think we can help God do anything. Sometimes we think we want to help God do stuff, or we think that we can do stuff on our own, that we are all his creation. And it's, we get realize how foolish it is when we think we can't help God do anything. We don't help him at all. He helps us. And we need to, that's the first step we need to take. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. First of all, in that first verse is the majesty of God. He created all of this. Well, what I point out, because we get here every now and then, and this is what I want to talk about a little bit more in a minute, <coughs> there's a lot of people that say there's a gap between verse 1 and verse 2 called the gap theory between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. You know, reading this, we go through and God has given us a outline of how old people were. He got into created Adam and Eve, and we know later on it tells us how old Adam was, how old his son Seth was. We know how old all of those people are, and we start calculating it down, you know, and we can estimate right now that the earth is about 6,000 years old, from all the ages all the way down to Christ, and then we started counting again. You know, we counted backwards to get down to Christ, then we count forwards. We had 4,000 years, roughly, before the birth of Christ, and now about a little over 2,000 years since. So we know the earth is roughly 6,000 years old. Well, how do we account for the, you know, the prehistoric animals and the dinosaurs and the rocks and stuff that are billions of years old that they test, and they're carbon tested and they're billion years old? Well, where do we get that from? The people even who believe in the Bible saying, well, that happened between verse 1 and verse 2. And Satan caused the problem. And just so you understand what the gap theory is, it's one of those things that's kind of making us hay back again now a little bit. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and he created it just like it is, and it was perfect. And then you notice it says, it starts with verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. The water earth was void and without form. They'll say, well, see, it was perfect. He created it, and now he's saying how bad it is. And what their theory is, is that's when Satan, between verse 1 and 2, that's when Satan fell from heaven, and he came down here and on earth. Now, God kicked him out. He came on earth, and he destroyed the earth that God had created, this earth that he created in verse 1. Satan destroyed it. That's when all the dinosaurs lived. And they say there's several million years between verse 1 and verse 2. He came down and destroyed it, and had, that's when the dinosaurs were. I don't believe this, but you just so you need to understand the gap theory and how that works. He created, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. It was that way because Satan destroyed it. That's the, the allegation, and that's how we end up with the theories of evolution and that even among those scientists who believe in that. And it says, verse 2, then God came back 
and redid it again. He, God did it a second time, and then he started going through it in detail in how he created it the second time. And all through the first seven days, then he talks about when he finishes, you know, finishes the sky and the waters and the separated the lands from the ocean, he pronounced that it was good. And then Satan shows up again at the end of chapter 2 in the Garden of Eden, but God has greatly limited his ability by then. Well, that's the gap theory. I don't believe that. I think it goes in. I think it's a summary. Most of us do believe that. Verse 1 is just a summary of what he's going to do. And then verse 2, is he goes dark detailing, and that happens quite often. That's the way speakers speak sometimes. You know, you say, tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them, and then you summarize it again. You summarize and tell them what you've just told them. He's telling us he did it, and then he gives us a description of how he did it. Now, how, how we can have uh, fossils and stuff that are a million years old. First of all, God created about a 20-year-old man and a 20-year-old woman. You know, <coughs> nothing says God can't create uh, things that to be as aged as they are, and I believe that's what's happened. We have evidence in here that talks about there being giants and, and dinosaurs. I wish I could remember it. That Midland one time, Stephen Ross, our deacon now, he's uh, one of our deacons here at Midland, he got up and he talked about uh, some of the giants and even the unicorn that was in the Bible and pointed them out and did a good job of that. So, I mean, those were there, and they died out, but... We believe the earth is only about 6,000 years old. 6,000, we think that's specifically traced to the Bible. What I want to focus the rest of my time this on this morning is this Bible goes from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. You know, and there's a lot of stuff in there, you know, from start to finish. It's interesting if you will see and you can make a determination about the beliefs of some of the other denominations they preach out of this Bible, and this Bible contains everything going forward, and they tell us how we're supposed to deal on a going forward basis. Do they ever teach what happened before that first verse? <coughs> you go to the other time, I, I think if you'll go sometime, go to another church sometime, and if you go pretty regular or something, you hear or you listen on TV, and take note every time they mention what happens before Genesis 1 and 1. Your notebook's going to be pretty empty. You might have one line or two lines. But I want to start this morning and let's talk about what took place before Genesis 1-1. It's important to you. This is a book, we'll tell you, it's a book, it's a guidebook for life. It's a guidebook from that time frame forward. But I want to tell you what happened before Genesis 1-1. Let's go back and let's look in a little bit and let's, because I don't, uh, the old Baptists are about the only ones that preach the importance of what took place before the foundation of the world. Let's go to, I see, well, uh, uh, God, we know, and, and I, I pointed out in Psalm 90 a while ago, God is from everlasting to everlasting. <coughs> God was here before Genesis 1-1. He was here forever. In Revelations 1 and 8, God says, you know, I, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I was here. I've been here forever, and I will last forever. So he has been here long before. We're going to talk about God first. At Exodus 1 and 14, when he appeared to Moses in the bush, he told him, he said, I am that I am. I am. I'm the great I am. He said, I don't have a past. I'm not a past. I'm not a future. I'm a present. Everything with God is present. 
Now, you know, we say, well, you know, I was two years old and I'll be 90 years old one of these days. We all have a past, present, and future because we live in time. God let them live in time. And so what I want to point out is he did a number of things before he created the earth. He's been around forever. Uh, like I said, he said, I am uh, the great I am. He is always in the present. <coughs> We don't think of it like that, and we think of it only, and, and, and I said, most of the majority of the world teaches this Bible. You've got to follow this Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation. And I'm saying, no, you don't. You first need to understand what took place before God started, created this earth. There was a lot of action that took place that impacted you. Uh, Acts 15 and 18 says, God knows all his works from the beginning to the end from his beginning, and that's back before time began. God is here. He's always been here uh, and been here before time even began. Let's talk about Jesus. We know the Godhead is three in one. We saw that God and the Spirit were there earlier. God created the heavens and earth, and then the Spirit moved and formed things. But also, I want to tell you, Christ was there also, too. He was there before time began. I'm going to go with 1 Peter chapter 2, we're talking about Jesus now. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, you're not redeemed by paying for it. He tells us. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who, was, who verily was ordained, foreordained, before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But that redemption was foreordained before the foundation of the world. It's now made manifest by this book, and by him appearing, we now know it. But he was taking care of you before the foundation of the world. Before the world was even created, Christ became your redemption for our sins back then, before then. Let me go to uh, John 17. John 17, uh, beginning of verse 2, about three verses here. And, and this is Jesus speaking for, as he's speaking to the Lord, he said, for that, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know that the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus is referring to back about, I was here before the world was too. You go back and read the first first chapter of the book of John the first few verses and y'all have heard these many times but Jesus was here and it says in the beginning was the word that's Jesus because this book is about him with the word the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and without him was not made any was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men Jesus was there from the beginning. He was the one that created, did all the creation of the earth. God was there in, in you know, three parts. 
the spirit makes him but Christ was there with the creation and he was there from the very beginning he started doing his work then for you before the foundation of the world we move here now to this John 17 2 I want to move over here to John 17 uh, verse 24 Jesus talking again father I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me Jesus before the foundation of the world he's talking about father you gave these people group of people to me before the foundation of the world that I'm go, supposed to go down into the world and finish it under the law but you already foreordained that I'm to do this ahead of time and, and do it under the law so that I can go down and be redeemed for them. We know Christ was here long before he appeared in the New Testament. You know, when I, I've spoken before about when the Lord put Moses in the cleft of the rock for protection while he passed by. That cleft of the rock, we know from later on, is, is Christ. Christ is our rock. And uh, we've got several songs about being in the cleft of the rock and hold me, you know, cover me with thy hand. About That's talking about Christ. We know when they needed water in the deserts, when the Israelis did, they hit the rock. That rock was Christ. Uh, test one of that. I won't spend time today going over that. But then when, when Daniel, the prophet, was there, when they locked up those three guys in the furnace and turned it up to three or four times the heat, that uh, they looked in and saw four people, and one of them was in the form of the Son of God. See, Jesus was around a long time before he was born here. So a lot of things have taken place even before we read about them here in the Bible. I've talked about God. I've talked about Jesus. Let's talk about us. How are we involved in this action that took place before Genesis 1-1? We've had God in Christ. Let's go to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And you all know these, but I want to put it in context. Verse 9, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ before the world began God gave your name to Christ before the world began now I want you to start thinking about how do I get myself saved eternally it started back before you were even born before the world began First Timothy 1 9 y'all are all familiar with that go over one book over here to Titus I can find it. Titus chapter 1, uh, verse 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. And election is throughout here, throughout the Bible, but God made an election before the world began. <coughs> he elected a certain people. <coughs> he put down the names of those people and gave them to Christ. You know, uh, I don't know who's in, whose name's on that list, but I know you wouldn't be here if your name wasn't here. I can say I have some assurance to know you wouldn't be a believer in the Lord and be here in church this morning if your name wasn't one of the ones that God gave to Christ. But he said, the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised when? Before the world began. There's a lot going on that involves you before the world even began. And we need to know that and understand that because it changes the way that we ought, it ought to change the way that we think about what's going on here. Uh, let me go over to the other one is another good spot here. Revelations 5. Revelations chapter 5. We start off talking about 
uh, John, I saw the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. He's talking, he goes on here and calls it, it's a, it's a book that nobody can open. It's a book that's got everybody's name in it. It's going to go to heaven. It's sealed and nobody can open it. The only one worthy to open it is the Lamb of God, Christ. He's the only one open to him. He goes on in chapter 5 and 6 and talks about that book. Jumps over here in 13, I believe in 17, and again mentions this book. He talks about some people that are not on the book that will worship the devil and worship the beast, all those whose names are not written in that book. The Lamb's book of life was written before the world begins. Your name is on that book. Uh, you can't open it. I can't open it. And Christ can open it. But that was written back then. Your eternal salvation was secured when he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life before the world begins. Your eternal salvation is already complete. It's set. It's ordered. It's laid out. It's taken care of before the world begins. God took care of that then. He's been working for you in your behalf for a long time. <coughs> Luke chapter 10 and 24 says, Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Talking to the elect, that's you. Rejoice because your name is already written in that book in heaven. Hebrews 12 and 28 says, you know, you should rejoice also because your name is registered. I think it's in, enrolled is actually the word out of the Greek. Your name is enrolled in heaven. <coughs> The Lord took care of your eternal salvation. It was finished and done and complete. Now, he wasn't, I can't say finished because Christ came uh, to fulfill the law to make sure it was finished. But everything about you and your name about it and the setting and the foreordained by God took place before the world began. Now, when somebody comes and tells you, starts preaching here, let me tell you how you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life is closed, it's sealed. Not a name will be added, not a name will be taken out. It's been there since before the foundation of the world. Your name has been there. And it'll be made manifest in time. It'll be made manifest by what's taking place in this book. <coughs> now we see a lot of people that get confused about this, and we see a lot of people that do things uh, funny sometimes because of this. You know, Romans chapter, another, it came, just came in Romans chapter 9, Verse 11, for the children not yet born, being not yet born, having neither done any good or evil, for that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before you were even born, not according to your works. You hadn't done any good works or bad works, but God, you know, in his foreknowledge, he knew, and he put your name down, put it in that book, seal that book. It won't be open until the end of time. Nobody can get in that book that's not already there. Nobody can get out of that book. You know, he said, <coughs> 1026, he said, my, you know, they hear me, they hear my voice. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll give them to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Nobody can take them out of my hand. Nobody can take it out of my Father's hand. Your eternal salvation was set and locked in place before the world began. And what that's supposed to do is that's supposed to give you peace. You read this book and you have an understanding of that. You have an understanding about, I've got a place in heaven. God's already done that for me. He loves me so much. You know, you know how people say, well, you can't do it. God needs your help to save you. He needs you to accept him and he needs that. Like I said, God doesn't need our help on anything. You know, and they say, well, God's begging for you to do this because he loves you, but he can't do anything unless you do it. Well, then that's a weak God. If I'm told that, you know, God wants to save me, but he, he can't do it until I accept him, that means I've got a veto power over God. 
he can he wants to just save me and, and I haven't done what I need to do, then I can say, well, no, I don't think I'm going to join the church or be baptized or whatever it is they tell you you got to do. Then I'm vetoing what God wants. Well, that's foolish and that's, rick- that's ridiculous. And that's the first thing we need to understand is that God is smarter than us. He's taken care of us better than we can take care of ourselves. And he took care of you not only now, he took care of you before the foundation of the world. That's the, the, the doctrine of the elect, the doctrine of your eternal salvation. The other one I want to go to is, is pretty clear is the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. Through Christ, through the work that Christ would do when he came here, dying on the cross, that fulfilled it, that that shut it, that sealed the book, that made everything, not the Lamb's book of life, that closed the door on it, that finished all the work, and so he, he secured and confirmed everything that Christ, that the Lord did for us before the foundation of the world. He has blessed us with all blessings in heavenly places, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ in himself, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted. We don't accept him. He accepted us. In whom we have redemption. We have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the, his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Now, back in the Old Testament, they didn't understand that. When I thought about, you know, he said, I, I go, but he's, he did it for the foundation of the world, but it's now being made manifest. We're now being told what's happened to us, what's already been done to us. That's what this book does. Number one, it tells you what took place before you were even born, before the world was even created. He saved you eternally. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It can't come out. It can't be marked out. It can't be taken out. Nobody can get in that book except Christ at the end of time, and that's when it's revealed, and that's when then you don't have a judgment day. You're bypassed. The people that are not in that book, they're the ones that's going to have a judgment day, not you. But we're told that the number of people in heaven is innumerable. It's not limited. It's innumerable, more than the sands by the seashore or more than the stars in the sky. You can't count them. That's how many is going to heaven, and he's taking care of it before the foundation of the world. Now, when you have people talk to you about your eternal salvation, you need to remember, <laughs> that's what he's taking care of. My eternal salvation, good or bad, whatever it is, and again, you wouldn't be here this morning if something hadn't put something in your heart to be here, you want to come to church. Uh, that's evidence. We're told that's evidence. You know, that's what we, the test you give you when you join the church, do you show signs of regeneration? Signs of regeneration means that you love the Lord. You know, and we've seen that given all sorts of ways. Usually people come down and say, you know, I want to join the church. I, I, I believe in the Lord. We had one instance one time, I heard a story told by a preacher. He said, young man come down and he couldn't talk. He said, you know, how are we going to do re- regeneration? He said, do you love the Lord? And he goes, he gave signs of regeneration, signs that you love the Lord. <coughs> That's how we know your name is already there. We didn't put it there. A preacher doesn't put it there. A preacher doesn't save you. Now, what we ought to be preaching about all the time is what's taking place now from Genesis 1 to Revelation. Your eternal salvation is complete, period. The doctrine of eternal salvation, that's the song of the Lamb, what the Lamb did for us. 
the song, you know, we sing this one song. People come along with us and sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. That's the song of the Lamb. He took care of your eternal salvation before the foundation of the world. It's finished. It's complete. And now that he's come, especially, and he died not only for us going forward, but he died for all those in the past. He was slain uh, for all the world before the foundation. I mean, he was appointed before the foundation of the world, and then he was slain for everybody even before him. He's taking care of all of that. So now, what do we do? Now we work on time. We're part of this time. But your eternal salvation is finished. That ought to give you peace. Peace which passes all understanding. That ought to give you some comfort. I don't have to worry about my, whether my mother and dad are joined to church, whether my kids are saved, or my brother or sister are my good friends. You don't make that call. God's taking care of that. And he's the one that's in charge, and he's the one that knows better than we do. He says, you know, everybody says, well, if it's in your heart and we have people being baptized, somebody else for saving eternally. A lot of this stuff going on. That was finished and done. It's over with. We have not the doctrine of fear, which is what a, a lot of is taught into a denomination here, but the power of love, of, of power, a doctrine of love, power and love and a sound mind. Power. God takes care of it when we can't. Love. He does it because he loves us, even in spite of ourselves. He loves us. And because of a sound mind. When you understand that and believe that, my eternal salvation is taken care of. So is my children. So is my mother and dad. I don't have to spend all that time worrying about how I get them saved eternally. Now, what do we do with that now? We work on time salvation. This is what's left with us. We're living in this world. We've got to figure out how to get through this world. That's what this book is all about. How do you live in this world? You know, especially the New Testament, because then that's when it's all revealed to us. They didn't know this in the Old Testament, but what we know now, that it gives us a, an idea of what all took place. But now we're to work on time salvation. What do I do? How do I live in this world? How do I raise up my children? How do I stay happy in this life? How do I live with the people at work? How do I handle all the problems and cares of this world? How do I keep myself out of jail and, and, and avoid a lot of the problems of this world? That's what this book is for. It's a guidebook to life. It's a guidebook to living. You know, and it'll say, if you don't do this, you know, then you're, you're, you're cursed or you're going to have problems or, you you know, if you want to do this, there's a way to get saved. It's talking about timely. Ninety, probably 90% of this book, I, I've gone through and pointed out to you some very clear passages that there was something that took place before the foundation of the world, and I think it's pretty clear. He saved you, wrote your name in the Lamb Book of Life, and took care of your eternal salvation. We need to know that. Part of our salvation under time-wise is to thank the Lord. Lord, thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for the salvation eternally that you have given me. Now, Lord, help my children do better in this world. Protect them when we go out. Protect us when we drive. You know, take care of my family. Uh, bless my children to have more children. Bless my family to be happy. Help me, Lord, that I can help prepare. As you've told me to do, my duty is take care of other people. Lord, help me to do that. Guide me with the things that you would have me do in this world to take care of other people. You know, I've been plagued with cancer. There's something here. I hope I hadn't. But I've been plagued with cancer. What do I do with that? I go help other people that have been plagued with cancer. If I've got a problem in this world, I should go help other people. That's our job now. And in doing that, you will be saved today and tomorrow. That's what the Bible is about. It's about salvation for us today and tomorrow so that we can live happy. You know, without this, you can live miserable in this world. And if you don't understand this, you know, when Paul says when someone dies, you grieve, because I love this person, you grieve, but not like those that have no hope. We have hope. I know that when somebody dies, we went to a funeral this week of one of our, our oldest deacons, 
and we, we know he died, but he's in a better place. I grieve because I'll miss him. Now, you know, I've lost a wife. I, I grieve because I've lost her and I miss her, but I know she's in a better place. I have hope. I have hope that I can join all my family and my parents in some day. <coughs> That's what this book is about, is tell us how to live today and tomorrow and how to do the things that God instructs us to do. When you do, your life here in this world is so much better. That's what time salvation, your eternal salvation, you've got to understand it. Because when you do understand it, boy, does it take a burden off. You know, and I used to be, as a kid, used to be afraid of death. I'm not afraid of death. I don't want to die. You know, and the Lord tells us that. Honor your mother and father that your days on the earth may be long. He knows we want to live longer and we want to enjoy this world. That's what he says. You know, I know you want to do all these things. I know, you know, I want, he knows I want to go to football games and watch Texas Tech Red Raiders win. Hope I live long enough to see him win one of these days. You know, but he knows I want to do those things. He knows I want to do things in the world, but he says, put me first. And I'll see that you get everything else you'd like. You may not get it to the abundance that I want. I want. I don't need. But he may not give me the abundance, but he takes care of me. When we put him first, he'll take care of you in this world. And that's what this book is all about. That's what it says when he's made manifest through his word how we should live. And he's made manifest through his word what he's already done for us. We serve an amazing Lord who's taken all sorts of pressure off us. I, you know, I'm not afraid to die like I was perhaps as a kid. I'm not afraid. I know that the minute I die, I'm not in that box anymore. I'm gone. I'm gone, and it's going to be wonderful. You know, we know the story. We not only know the story, we know the ending, and the ending is good. We've got the best ending in the world. We know what it is ahead of time, and it's good. So <coughs> the problem is, how do we get between now and the ending? How do we be happy between now and then? And that's what this book is about. This is time salvation. 99% of this book. The rest of it tells us what took place before uh, any of us even came along. And then this book tells us how we should live today. Go back in the Old Testament. gives you great examples of how we ought to conduct our life. Here in the New Testament, he gives us specific examples. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love the Lord. Put him first and he'll give you other things that you want and need in this world. He'll take care of you. He'll heal you. You know, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear your prayers. Thank the Lord them hears. I will hear, he says. I'll hear your prayers. I'll heal you. Uh, I'll hear your prayers. I'll forgive your sins, and I will heal you. You know, I know, maybe some of you here don't sin every day like I do. I know I do. And he said he'll forgive that. But he says, if my people, that's a promise he's made to us. That's about living today and tomorrow. That's not about eternal salvation. That's right over. But he said, you know, if you'll humble yourselves and pray and seek my face, the person that's made humble, I'm going to make him great and I'll build him up. The person that gets built up big, I'm going to lower him down. That's about life today and tomorrow. It's a great book about living, and that's what this is all about. That's the time salvation for today. Your eternal salvation, you need to understand it so you're not deceived. But it's already over with. It's finished. There's nothing that can change your eternal salvation. That's set. That's locked in place, period. Whether you join the church, whether you get baptized, whether you even know the name of Jesus, you have God in your heart. But that's out of the way. Now comes time salvation. We follow it, and our life in this world is going to be so much better. We serve a wonderful Lord who loves us. He took care of the big things way before we were even born. Now it's up to us. We have an involvement in our own salvation while we're alive in this world. We serve a wonderful Lord who's got a wonderful plan. It's important that we understand it because then it does give us the peace that passes all understanding. 
appreciate your kindness and my prayer is the Lord would bless each of you.